Welcome to TGI, Tourism Geography Insights, the podcast of Tourism Geography's journal where we discuss our latest research and developments of our peer-reviewed journal which explores tourism and tourism-related areas of recreation and leisure studies from a geographic perspective. My name is Joseph Chia and I'm one of the producers of the Tourism Geographies podcast, as well as co-editor-in-chief of the journal Tourism Geographies. Today, this morning, where I'm at, um, I have a special guest, Dr. Ethan Botone. Ethan is currently an assistant professor of geography at Northwest Missouri State University, where his work explored critical aspects of tourism, mobility, and race. He received his PhD from the University of Tennessee in May 2020 where his dissertation research investigated landscapes and mobility networks of the Green Book, a Jim Crow era travel guide developed and used by black travelers. Ethan is particularly interested in tourist homes, private homes and apartments rented to travelers that were listed within the Green Book as these spaces represented a very personal form of resistant hospitality to the pervasive injustices of institutional white supremacy. Ethan's paper and one of the the focus of our, our podcast today is the paper Your Home Away From Home, Tourist Homes and Hospitality as Resistance, published in Tourism Geographies in 2022. So, hey, Ethan, welcome to the Tourism Geographies podcast. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me and a good evening from here where I am in Missouri. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for making the time to join us, Ethan. A very interesting paper that has garnered quite a bit of interest from readers. As I, as I was saying to Ethan earlier offline, Ethan is a historical geographer, and historical geographies is an approach and method that is very much under-acknowledged, and at Tourism Geographies, we're hoping to bring a special issue on the topic very, very soon. But without further ado, let me go to Ethan. Ethan, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to do this research. So I'm originally from Virginia, moved around, uh, lived in Ohio, got my master's at Ohio University, and then eventually... Got my PhD from Tennessee, and I, I, I kind of can't took a circuitous route to this research. It has to do a lot with my childhood love of uh, guidebooks, actually. So I kind of am dating myself a little bit here, and I guess this is really in a North American context, but uh, the AAA used to put out guidebooks for each state, or they would group several states together, and I would just absolutely love to read these uh, whenever I was traveling anywhere uh, with my family. When we were taking day trips. I'd just love to see the little histories um, that went along with the little towns that we were passing through and seeing what was there. <clears throat> so this kind of sparked my love for geography and just understanding the landscapes uh, that you know exist all around us. And when I was at Ohio University trying to figure out what I was going to do when I went to get my PhD, it was around the same time that uh, people were kind of quote unquote rediscovering or uncovering the Green Book, which was this travel guide developed during the Jim Crow era to help uh, black travelers move from space to space and specifically uh, navigate through the harsh realities of the Jim Crow Highway. And I guess I think the first spark I had was the the podcast 99% Invisible um, had an episode about the Green Book and they interviewed uh, Candace Taylor, uh, who is a um, researcher who investigates the Green Book as well. And they interviewed her and it was like, this is this is just absolutely amazing. It marries what I love. It marries the, the historical history of uh, passing through all these towns. It marries my my childhood love of, of guidebooks. And, it, you know, it's, it's something that talks about how people can use space for good. You know, it talked about, um, 
you know, trying to find places that were welcoming, trying to find places that allowed people to travel. So I was like, this is this is great. It's social justice oriented. It's guidebooks. It's geography. I have to get on get in on this. And then I went to Tennessee to work with Derek Alderman, and he he loved the idea as well. And it just turned into my whole dissertation project, essentially. Oh, fantastic. It's amazing how childhood interests and experiences can lead to something like this, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I never really considered the guidebooks that I, I mean, again, it's just weird, kind of weird to say I love to read guidebooks, but I mean, I never really considered the guidebooks something that could eventually just become part of what I do as an everyday thing. Mm, yeah, and even as a separate conversation, the place of guidebooks today in this this um, highly networked technological era, you know, where does it where does it fit? these days but that's a separate conversation i wanted to i <laughs> yeah. wanted to touch on something that you just talked about that may be familiar with people in the us but not necessarily people outside of it you mentioned the jim crow highway what was that ethan yeah, so <clears throat> the Jim Crow era was the period in the United States right after the Civil War, essentially, or essentially right after Reconstruction um, ended in 1876. It's kind of bounded from 1876 to 1964 when the Civil Rights Act was passed by Lyndon Johnson. Um, and essentially, it was a time period in which uh, it, racism was institutionalized in laws throughout the United States. It's most often associated, of course, with the United States South, where states literally wrote into their constitutions, literally wrote into laws, basically saying that Black Americans did not have the same rights as white Americans, that they couldn't go to the same places, they couldn't use the same public transportation system, they couldn't read the same books, and they couldn't do the same things. And this is largely associated with the U.S. South, but it was also in other places in the United States, the Midwest, the North too, so we can't forget that. <clears throat> but referring to the highway, uh, traveling through the U U.S. South was an especially dangerous thing because the whole point of Jim Crow was to limit the rights of Black Americans. It was lim to limit their ability to uplift themselves. And travel was often associated, of course, with being the able to uplift, with being able to move to for a new job, being able to go get cultural capital, um, being able to go see things and visit family. It's associated with with you know good things. Um, and the Jim Crow system that was developed in the uh, United States at this time period was all about limiting this ability. Um, so oftentimes, Black Americans traveling on the highway would have to deal with police stopping them and harassing them, oftentimes leading to beatings by police. There's a really great scene from the HBO Max series, uh, uh, um, Lovecraft Country, the first episode does a really good job of explaining what a lot of the uh, police harassment looked like on the Jim Crow Highway, but also came from citizens as well. People lynching Black Americans just for traveling through the wrong town. Uh, the idea of sundown towns, which were these towns in the United States that basically said you could not be Black after dark in this town or else you will die. Um, so the Jim Crow Highway was just a very dark and very dangerous period in the United States uh, for Black Americans and other people of color. Right. Well, that's fascinating, uh, Ethan. Thanks for that uh, thorough description. And of course, you know, just listening to what you're saying, and, and you've, you've flagged this in your paper, this endeavor is really about justice in tourism. But more importantly, you know, while these draw on historical, the historical archives, the issue that that you that you unpack in this in this paper is really quite contemporary and relevant, isn't it? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, I, I think it all came to a head with the uh, murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis in uh, 2020. Uh, but I mean, even before then, Philando Castile, also in Minneapolis, I think 2016. I mean, you know, in the United States specifically, we're just seeing so much violence towards Black bodies as they travel that understanding how travel can be racialized and understanding how um, travel can be dangerous just for being the wrong color, just for being of the wrong race. Um, it's important mm -hmm. to understand how these processes work. So. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of direct correlations um, between uh, the historical research I did and you know present day. Fascinating, Ethan. No, so tell me, um, most most authors, when when they write a paper, they they set out to answer a question or, or or address a problem. In your case, what was the question you were trying to unpack here? I, I don't think I don't know if honestly if I have a direct question, but I, I guess I was I was more just trying to understand. How did hospitality work in the context of Black travel during the Jim Crow era? And how was hospitality used by Black Americans for Black Americans at the same time as how hospitality was used against them? And then kind of digging in a little deeper or more specifically, why are tourist homes so prevalent in the Green Book and what role did they serve in the hospitality complex? Well, that's that's really interesting, and you know, uh, as as you as you describe this, it kind of casts me forward to today, where we have Airbnb doing all of this, right? And and now there are yes. there are there are discussions about how Airbnb, in a way, discriminates against uh, people who are trying to use the service. So, um, one of the things that's, that's that always strikes me, and as as an academic, and and you know, and something that probably non-academics should understand more about is when we write studies of this nature and we come to conclusions, we rely on data and, 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 and good quality data that helps inform our work. Can you give me some understanding of, of the types of data you used and the challenges you faced in trying to collect data to inform the study? Yeah, so the data I used came directly from the Green Book, this, this guidebook that was developed to help black travelers navigate the Jim Crow Highway. <clears throat> So I didn't really have too much of a problem accessing them. Uh, all the green books published from 1936 until 1964 with a 10-year or so hiatus during World War II. They are all available online from the New York Public Library. Um, the Schomburg Center technically um, has them, but they're through, you can just Google New York Public Library green book, and it'll take you directly to the uh, warehouse where every single page of each green book has been digitized, um, and you can just scroll through them. Um, so I was able to access them really easily, and the data I used was just the green books themselves. Each green book lists the accommodations, either restaurants, things like the tourist homes themselves that I looked at, hotels, um, they list them by state and then by city. So I looked at what tourist homes were listed for each state and city, as well as advertisements that are listed in the book as well, because oh. people uh, who own businesses could pay to have advertisements for their business in the Green Book. And this was more of a thing that happened after 1949 in the later editions. Um, so I, for, for my study, the paper I wrote, I was really focusing in on these advertisements to see how people who who were the proprietors of the, of these tourist homes, how did they portray themselves, and what were the messages that they were trying to send to the travelers that were using the Green Book? So I focused on those advertisements specifically for the study. Right. Were they by chance? Uh, did they by chance have reviews of, of satisfied or dissatisfied guests like we would see today <laughs> on Airbnb? 
and the like. Nah, not really. <laughs> the, I will say there was a ch they they always included the section where it said if you were refused services or if you didn't like your accommodations, you can write in and we'll review and we can remove the listing if we find <laughs> it's worthy. But uh, no, it didn't include reviews specifically. Uh, <laughs> how times have changed, eh? It's it's an interesting historical <laughs> comparison. Yeah, that's right. So um, one of the things that often informs us and preoccupies us as academics is some kind of theoretical kind of underpinning. And I'm wondering whether you could you could touch on what kind of theoretical concepts influenced your your study. Sure. So <clears throat> a lot of the study is based, uh, it's kind of interdisciplinary. So I drew from a couple of different, so a couple of different theories. One that's kind of influenced a lot of my work is black geographies, um, which is this epistemology, this field of study that's been developed since the 1990s um, that tries to understand how people of color and specifically black people, both in the United States and outside the United States, develop space, workspace, create space for themselves, but also how does this occur within a context, within a system that is actively trying to create space for them and against them at the same time. So Catherine McKittrick uh, is one of the pioneers, Clyde Woods is another pioneer. They wrote together a edited anthology in 2007 um, called Black Geographies, which is just absolutely amazing and informed a lot of my work that gets at just this idea of how spaces for Black Americans are co-created for them, against them, but also by them and for them as well. So that theory kind of led into this idea, um, you know, of the Green Book being this guide that portrays space that's created for them, you know, it's created by them by Black Americans, but also it's created within the context of the larger Jim Crow society that is actively trying to create space uh, to hurt, to harm, and to, you know, just limit Black mobility. Um, so Black geographies definitely uh, influenced a lot of my work. And I was also influenced a lot by critical hospitality studies, understanding that hospitality is something that is a socially created as well. Um, so the work of Paul Lynch um, was was definitely very important for um, what I was uh, looking into, understanding that spaces are created for specific people to welcome specific people, but also they are created to unwelcome or not be welcoming for specific people. So you can kind of see the uh, connections there with black geographies, whereas, you know, larger system of the United States was being created as a space unwelcoming for black Americans. But at the same time, there are smaller spaces or there are spaces within this context that were being created for and by black Americans to help them be resilient and successful and survive within a larger context of unwelcoming. Mm -hmm. And indeed, the project is still very much a relevant one in the present, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I, I spoke to you offline about this, but for the sake of listeners, I wanted to uh, pose the question to you. The film, The Green Book in 2018, starring uh, Viggo Mortensen <laughs> and Ma Mahashala Ali, mm -hmm. um, got, got a lot of critical acclaim. Yes. But I want to know what you as an academic that's steeped in this work thought of it. <laughs> So I, I believe the, the phrase I used offline was I absolutely hated it. <laughs> so it, it, the, the movie came out like when I was literally writing my dissertation on the Green Book. <laughs> I, I think I saw it like the same day it came out just because like everybody was building it up around me. Like, oh, you got to go see it, Ethan, because, you know, it's, it's directly what you're working on. So I went and saw it and I was like, this is 
uh, I, I don't want to swear or anything, but this is <laughs> this is a load of stuff right here. It, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of comments you can read and critic critiques of it. Basically, you know, it has a it has a whole white savior role of Viggo Mortensen, basically teaching Mahershala Ali how to be black, even though Viggo Mortensen is a I believe he's supposed to be like a white Italian from New York City. So, I mean, there's a there's a whole thing with it. I actually wrote a small piece for a newsletter for an organization that I'm a part of that came after some parts of the movie that basically showed Green Book locations as being like uh, hovels or really being, uh, you know, really dilapidated, um, whereas a lot of these Green Book locations were actually really swanky, um, specifically for the people like Mahershala Ali or you know, um, mm-hmm. Dr. I think Sherry was his name, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for the musicians, you know, they would actually stay in really nice hotels. So uh, I, I took I took a lot of exception with how Green Book sites were portrayed and just how life in the Jim Crow era was portrayed. Mm-hmm. So I can keep going on, but uh, I don't want to take up all our time here. <laughs> I, 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 by chance, you haven't yeah. thought of writing a screenplay, the, the other green book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, that, that's all fascinating because, you know, um, when I was reading your paper, and indeed during the editorial process, I was immediately excited about the prospect of, of bringing this paper to publication because I thought, given the popularity of the film, your paper would be able to, you know, um, uh, uh, set right some of the things that were either under under-acknowledged or exaggerated or misrepresented, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I was wondering, from this work that you conducted, what were the main what were the main takeaway issues from this paper that you you communicated? And of course, this paper comes from a wider study, you know, your PhD studies and your ongoing research, yeah. right? But if you could describe some of the key takeaways from this work, what what would they be? So I, I think one of the key takeaways is uh, is kind of shaping our understanding of hospitality, and again, kind of getting at the idea that hospitality is produced. Um, but understanding that hospitality can be used as a form of resistance, specifically by using it as a system of welcoming, again, within a larger context of unwelcoming, right? If if people are able to create spaces that are welcoming to people who are unwelcomed by larger society, then we can begin to build networks that can be used to resist against uh, systems of injustice, systems of unwelcoming. Um, and that is exactly what happened in with the Green Book. The Green Book that was created by Black Americans, it listed these places that welcomed travelers within a larger context of unwelcoming and provided them places of respite. I, I also, another concept concept that came a lot in the work was a, a great idea from Doug Allen, um, Black Geographies of Respite, um, which is just the idea that there are spaces that allow Black Americans to rest within the larger structure that is not allowing them to rest. So that's what this, these Green Book spaces did. They allowed welcoming to be used as a form of resistance, as a form of rest against a system that was trying to dismantle, against a system that was trying to harm Black Americans. Um, So just understanding that hospitality can be actually actively used, and it can be used to shape and form movements, and it can be used to help along larger movements like the uh, African American freedom struggle that has had been going on for hundreds of years and is still occurring uh, in the United States. On a smaller takeaway, I think it also highlights the key role that tourist homes played in this welcoming as resistance, this hospitality as resistance. Um, For a long period in tourism history, 
really still to this day, uh, tourist homes, uh, these private homes and apartments that were let out to uh, renters for a night or two have been just completely ignored by tourism scholars, yet they are in the Green Book the most common form of accommodation, um, way more common than hotels or any other type of um, lodging. I, I try to bring the light the importance of these private homes and again also just really private forms of resistance that helped Black Americans uh, survive and be resilient during the Jim Crow era. As, as a follow-on from that, if I may, Ethan, and we haven't discussed this in, in the questions that I flagged for you earlier, mm -hmm. but perhaps you might be able to uh, comment on this. What are the implications for other marginalized groups in terms of hospitality and, and hospitality as resistance, do you think? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I think it, it asks us to investigate, you know, potentially alternate ways that hospitality and welcoming are being practiced you know i mean in the in the united states and in, in specifically you know white culture in the united states you know we have specific ideas of traveling and stopping at a hotel when retired or getting a motel room for the night but how are other populations how are other historically marginalized populations how are they practicing hospitality are there more familial groups working at hand? Is there more word of mouth? You know, I mean, as I, as I said, growing up, we would just use the AAA guide and we would find the nearest Hampton Inn or something like that. But are other groups who don't have that luxury, are they performing hospitality and are they traveling in other means? So uh, I, I specifically, if we want to look at it, maybe a specific example, how are immigrants coming to the United States specifically, you know, with a larger context of um, xenophobia that's really perva uh, pervasive in parts of the United States? How are immigrants who are traveling from Latin American countries, how are they making it through parts of the United States that are um, hostile to them? I, I think that's a, that's a really great correlation that, I mean, we, that could be looked into further. Oh, there's there's another study for you. Not like you needed another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got papers to grade. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think for those, but for listeners, I think this idea of hospitality as a, as a resistance, Ethan develops in the paper, and I think it makes a good conceptual framework for other work that looks to link justice with the way people travel and the extent to which you know there's a certain comfort or discomfort in the way in which people travel, right? As you say, some of us, we travel and we take a lot for granted. You know, we take a lot uh, that we think um, we, we, we don't really need to think about, right? But there are others who have to consider so much more when they travel. And I think this this gets to the heart of that in the paper. In, in, in Ethan's uh, paper, in his conclusions, he says, while hotels rightly deserve their place in the pantheon of hospitality and black geographic studies, he argues that tourist homes facilitated resistance through hospitality for a greater number of black travelers in the Jim Crow era as a result of the environments they offered, their inexpensiveness and their abundance, particularly in smaller cities not serviced by hotels. And we see this happening now, right, in the, the trends in hotels and hospitality and accommodation, where we've shifted away from hotels to the sharing economy and there's these other sharing platforms. And then now we're swinging back to hotels again in the, in the, in the wake of the pandemic, right? Um, yeah. Ethan, for you, what's the what's the next progression in 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 regards to this study? Where to from here? Oh gosh, I I think the number one thing would be if I could get my hands on some primary material coming from somebody who operated the tourist home, um, coming or if I could find somebody 
who grew up in a tourist home. I, I specifically say that because in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the University of Tennessee is, there was a, a very famous activist, uh, Avon Rollins, who unfortunately died the same year that I entered Tennessee. And he grew up in a tourist home in Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, and he, he if if had somebody had been able to interview him or just asked him about his time growing up in a tourist home, I, did, I just think some great information would have been shared. So if... If I could find some source material, if anybody listening has some source material, that would be absolutely wonderful. But just continuing to kind of understand how tourist homes and and I guess, you know, again, private lodgings help facilitate travel for for people um, all over the world. You know, you you spoke of Airbnbs, uh, of course, being uh, discriminatory. There is a whole subsect of uh, sharing uh, the sharing economy based around black travel. And there's a there's a um, app called Noir BNB, which tries to offer homes and apartments for renting just like Airbnb, but specifically geared towards Black travelers. So investigating that through this lens of hospitality as resistance is really interesting as well. That's fantastic. I had no idea about that, the Noir BNB, because mm-hmm. even today, every now and then, we, we read stories in the popular press about Black travelers wanting to check into the Airbnb, and suddenly someone's alerted the authorities, and, you know, and instead of checking into their... their <laughs> Their, their, their nope. accommodation, they find themselves having to confront the authorities. Yes, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Well, if anybody has access to some primary source material, <laughs> you, you can you can find Ethan Batone's uh, email address in his paper, or you can find him at the Department of Humanities and Social Sciences at the Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville. Ethan, um, before we before we finish up, Ethan, one of the last things I wanted to ask you was. With this, you know, I think from for for people like like you, with your um, academic bent as as an historical geographer and and historians, it's a dream to stumble upon this, you know, a, a chest full of photos, letters, you know, uh, diaries and things. Right? For you, how do you see this study contributing to our understanding of social justice in tourism? So, I mean, I I think it gets at how basic how how social justice you know it isn't just a large movement it can happen on the personal level right i mean these tourist homes they were personally run they were run by maybe one or two people maybe a family uh, and these personal individuals were able to contribute to the larger movement of black travel and black resilience to white supremacy in the United States. So I, I think it like it contributes, or I like to think it contributes to social justice and tourism by helping to understand a the historical understandings that social justice in tourism has been happening you know, since tourism and since travel has been around, right? We typically don't think of, you know, travel and tourism in the 1950s um, as having any type of social justice uh, bent towards it. Um, but I mean, these the, the Green Book is a perfect example of how we, how Black Americans in the United States have been practicing social justice within tourism since they have had the rights and abilities to move around the United States. Um, and again, how social justice can happen on the personal level how each person can contribute in some way and specifically they can do it by just being welcoming trying to help people who don't have the ability who are having a harder time than you try and just understand and put yourselves in an empathetic 
shoes of people who don't have the same ability and and don't have the same right or don't have the same ability to travel as or you know just be welcomed as somebody like you do so i i think it, it just tries to help us understand on a personal level more what social justice and tourism could look like fantastic ethan that that uh, neatly conceptualizes and summarizes your entire paper in one in one breath so, so well, well, well done on the paper and of course you know, homestays are still a thing in tourism, right? We see it in some some countries and some places where hotel stock may be limited and where homestays are now emerging as a, as a legitimate um, um, micro-enterprise for some mm -hmm. people. But um, with, that, with, that, with all of that said, can we please thank Ethan Botone from Northwest Missouri State University. I know everyone out there is clapping for you, um, Ethan. Um, thank you for Appreciate taking the time it. to let us delve into how uh, you you came to this work and how you you produced the work and and what's to come next? I think you've produced a work that's quite exemplary in a sense. As I said, it's a work that brings historical geography geographies into tourism geographies. It's a work that brings historical uh, material and and methods into tourism research more generally. So I think it's made a really good contribution to tourism knowledge and to tourism geography specifically. So Ethan, with that said, any final comments? You know, just uh, I, I say go out and find a guidebook and, you know, read it and see what it says, because it could contain some really interesting information that could help you on your journey through geography. So go find a guidebook and check it out. Right. And perhaps read Ethan's paper, then go and see the movie, <laughs> The Green Book, and see what he was all upset about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't give them money. <laughs> Well, uh, once again, to Ethan, thanks very much for joining us. And to listeners uh, joining us on the Tourism Geographies podcast, thanks for joining us. Next week, we have an all-new podcast, so we look forward to you joining us and signing off from here, Joseph in Japan, and to you, Ethan, in, uh, in Missouri, where it's probably time to go to bed. Thanks again. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ethan. Right, thanks. Bye.